Well, last year was uh, an amazing year in many ways. Here are just a few things that happened. Uh, scientists captured the first ever image of a black hole. Pretty extraordinary. Uh, tremendous advances were made in the treatment of cystic fibrosis and cancer. A new vaccine and antibody was developed to increase Ebola survival rates. The second patient ever was effectively cured of HIV. An 84-year-old woman became the oldest trapeze artist ever. <laughs> Paradise, Paradise Valley High School's football team fielded a team despite the fact that all but three of its players were homeless due to the terrible California fires. And due to human effort, thank God, human humpback whales are making a big return. I can go on and on and on and on, of course. Last year, every year, every day, every moment, even today, fun, great, amazing, life-changing occurrences, positive events, innovative creations, and incredible advances are happening. People have so many gifts, incredible levels of competency and ingenuity, and are using talents to the fullest in every domain of life imaginable. And whether big or small, people are doing wonderful things all the time, and there's much to be thankful for. And simply put, there's a lot of great stuff happening all the time. And it's more than important to pause every day to celebrate how people are using their gifts and talents for something really good or something just fun and entertaining. And I believe success, doing well, moving forward, using our gifts and talents and competencies are all things that God wants us to do. Our faith calls us to work hard and accomplish and exceed, succeed in all kinds of ways. God has given each of us gifts and wants us to use them well. And there is so much over which we can and should say, go God. But like most things in life, there is a caveat, uh, an and, if you will, to keep in mind to what I just said. You see, if our focus in life becomes solely on achievement, success, doing well, getting ahead, winning, and being competent, we actually can end up in a thicket that's hard to escape from. If we believe the purpose of life at its core is just about the things I mentioned, achievement, success, doing well, etc., such a stance can, if we are not very careful, actually lead us away from God, from others, and from whom we were meant to be. We can end up feeling disconnected and feeling like we need to search for something we can't put our fingers on. You see, our walk with Jesus is not about getting. The heart of our relationship with Jesus is not about measuring up and fundamentally our relationship with Jesus is not about how great we are but rather about making room a lot of room for something other than ourselves in our lives now when we do well which again is a great thing we can if not careful lose sight of how much we desperately need God and other people and when we do well, there is a possibility we lose a willingness to be vulnerable. And we be can become hard around the edges or even hard-hearted. You may remember the parable of Jesus. He tells this story of a person who plants seeds 
And in the story, a fellow goes out to plant seeds. And as he does so, some of the seeds he has falls on the hard path that he's on. Some of the seeds fall on rocky ground. Other seeds fall into thorn bushes. And none of those seeds grew in any significant way. All they did was wither and die. But there were seeds that fell into good soil and they sprouted and thrived. Now while there are lots of levels to the story, on the surface level, the story illustrates that good soil is necessary for a seed to sprout and grow. And from my very brown thumb perspective, good soil is porous. There's lots of room for air and water and nutrients. And one point Jesus made in this story is that we need to remember what good plant-producing soil looks like. It is not hard. It is soft and porous. And there's lots of room and space. And when it comes to God and our relationship with other people, Jesus reminds us to keep the image of what good soil is about in mind. And like good soil, God invites us to create room and space for something other than ourselves, where there's lots of room for God and other people. And that can become hard if our sole focus in life is getting. Now, there is one way, it's albeit not an easy way, but a fairly direct way to help us cultivate our lives so we look like good soil. There is a way to create lots of room for God, a lot of room for other people, and a lot of room for who we are. And that is to remember, if we don't know it already, that every single person has areas of brokenness. All of us have hurts and sorrows. Down deep, we all have cracks, if you will. Cracks we may keep from others as we put up a shiny veneer. Said another way, we all have our stuff, our imperfections, our faults and weaknesses. Now the point of this is not to say that we're bad or to make us feel bad. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's to celebrate the fact that we are human beings that each of us is made up of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's really a huge relief because maybe, just maybe, if we embrace this truth, we'll be a lot easier on each other and more open to one another and to God. And it's really important to point out that I believe that what we see in our world today that is not good is a direct result of people hiding from, running away from, covering up, or anesthetizing the reality that we all have brokenness and stuff that is not resolved. The result is what we see, a disconnect between beloved human beings, beloved by God human beings, a disconnect between people and God and sadly, a disconnect between people and their inner selves. When we acknowledge not only the good stuff in life, the accomplishments, the successes, the gifts we've had, and celebrate them with gratitude, along with fully embracing and acknowledging our brokenness, 
It's then we have lots of room for God and others and life becomes full and rich and meaningful like a plant that thrives. Our reading today from Matthew is from the beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, Jesus went up a mountain with his disciples. And when Jesus began talking, he described eight blessings or beatitudes. And while different, they each share something actually in common. They, if you will, describe pathways through which we can get in touch with our own brokenness, pain, and heartache, and we can get in touch with the brokenness and heartache of others, enabling us to connect. But just a quick thing to be very clear on. Through the Beatitudes, Jesus is not saying, boy, it's really swell that you all suffer and are in pain. That's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, he's getting at something different. I believe what Jesus is saying is that when we are in tough spots, we are not to run or hide or deny we are in those places, but rather to turn into them. And when we do so, we make ourselves not only vulnerable, but open up ourselves to other people, to God, and to who we are down deep. Each beatitude, you might even say, illustrates what good, porous soil looks like. Spaces that are not easy, but places from which we have an opportunity to grow, to grow as individuals, to grow in our relationship with other people, and to grow in our relationship with God. Each beatitude describes places through which we have the chance to see God working powerfully in our lives and in the lives of others. And it gives us a glimpse of how we rid humanity of hard-heartedness that we see every day. They also are places from which we can learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus, where we can learn to have the heart of Jesus. Regarding the Beatitudes, the writer Alan Brem writes this in excerpts with some adaptations. He says, our typical approach is to conclude that success and wealth and power equals happiness. The problem with that is the more you succeed, the more wealth and power you gain, the more of it you want, and the more you have to lose. And therefore, fear and competition creeps into your lives. But the Beatitudes and what they describe are places that enable us to embrace the vulnerability of being a human being. And throughout the ages, he goes on to write, many have recognized the profound wisdom that when we accept our vulnerability and the vulnerability of others, we find the path to peace, the path to blessedness, the path to true happiness. So with all this in mind, I'm going to very, very briefly look at each beatitude. I could spend eight weeks on it, but I have like 10 minutes on this. I want to look at each beatitude very briefly and how they can be places of rich soil so which we can grow and even thrive. And I ask you as we go through this to pay attention to each one because maybe just one is going to grab your attention more than others. And if one grabs you more than another, pay attention to that in the hours of today. There's something going on you need to pay attention to that I need to pay attention to. So I'm going to use the message version of the Bible for each one. So let's begin. Jesus said, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more room for God. Traditionally, this reads, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Now, in my own life, and likely in, in your own, when we are at wit's end, and we all have been at wit's end, confused and don't know what to do over something or someone, it is then that I have found, and perhaps you have found, there is a, just a ton of room for God. And there's a ton of room for the love of other people. And when we're in such a place, it can enable us to proclaim our brokenness and emptiness to God and other people and our total need for God. And when we are willing to be vulnerable, it puts us in the place to be present for other people when they are at the end of their rope. And we are blessed when we are poor in spirit because it is there that we find the deepest connection with God and other people if we turn into it and not away from it. Jesus then says you're blessed when, you're, when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Often this is read as blessed as though who mourn. Now let me be very clear and give you a theological phrase. Grief sucks. <laughs> I don't like it. It hurts. Sometimes beyond description, it brings us to our knees. It can feel surreal. It can make us feel alone and isolated and separate from other human beings. It can be a long and arduous process. But I believe what Jesus is getting at is that when we lose someone we love, Jesus invites us to turn into the grief, not to try and get away from it. That when we allow ourselves to fall into the grief process, over time, if we are open to it, God's presence becomes more and more and more palpable. And when we are vulnerable with our own grief and honest about it, others will come alongside of us if we allow it to happen in profound ways that will leave us feeling very blessed by their presence. And the more we are willing to go through our own grief with the help of God and others, the more we will be in the place to be just what others need when they are grieving. And that is a blessing and a blessed place to be because of the connectedness that happens with God and others. Next, Jesus says you are blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. Traditionally, this says, blessed are the meek. Now, meek does not mean wimpy. One person describes meekness brilliantly in this way. This person writes in excerpts, when a person cannot control or influence circumstances, most of us have been there, the typical response is frustration, bitterness, and even anger. But responding with meekness is an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen as only part of a larger picture. Meekness is not a passive resignation of fate. It's about persevering without giving up. It's about hopeful, resilient endurance. And when we are willing to confront situations with meekness, it means we turn to God and ask God for patience and wisdom and hope and perseverance when the outcome is unknown. Meekness can teach us the great virtue of contentment. Meekness can help us accept who we are, as we are, where we are. And if we get to that place, if we can accept who we are, as we are, it helps us to relate to other people in exactly the same way. And it becomes a blessing in the midst.
There's room for God and other people with meekness. Jesus then said, you're blessed when you have worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Traditionally, this reads as, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, ultimately, core righteousness at its core has to do with wanting what is right. Wanting a right relationship with God and wanting a right relationship with people around us. Righteousness is a desire for things to be as they should be. And we know we are seeking righteousness if within us we have a sense of longing, a sense that something is missing, a sense that something is not quite right, if we have a yearning within. And we are blessed when we hunger and thirst for what is right because it places us in a stance with God and others in which we are open to what God has to say about what is right. It also means that if we're searching for what is right, it usually means we're willing to look beyond ourselves for meaning. It also means that we're willing to let go of our egos. And it creates room in life for God and others, and we are blessed. Next, Jesus says, blessed are you when you care. Sometimes this one reads, blessed are the merciful. This, in part, is about what goes around comes around. How we treat others is how people are going to relate to us eventually. Mercy is all about kindness and forgiveness and being in touch with our own brokenness and our own profound need for mercy. And when we know we need mercy, we're going to be more merciful toward others. It's all about treating others as we would like to be treated. It's all about cutting other people slack and saying, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And when we are merciful, we are blessed and we experience blessings, not only because of the person, because of the mercy that will come back to us, because it means we know we don't have it all down. And when we know we don't have it all down, we know nobody has it all down. And so our hearts soften up. And became like, become like that porous soil in which there's room for God. Jesus then says, you are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right, then you can see God. Sometimes this reads, blessed are the pure in heart. The word heart in Jesus' day referred to the place, the heart. When people said heart in Jesus' day, they were talking about the heart, but they referred to it as the place where passion comes from. Thoughts, thinking, desires, wants. So purity of heart means our hearts, our passions, thoughts, desires, and wants are in alignment with the love of God. Purity of heart means we're not hiding stuff. We're transparent. Our motives are clear and healthy. It means we're willing to see things as God sees them. And while not easy, the more our hearts are in alignment with God, the more joy we feel across circumstances. Next to the last one. Jesus said you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete and fight. Sounds like a good bumper sticker to me. This beatitude reads, blessed are the peacemakers. The nature of God is peace. The nature of not God is not peace. The nature of God is love. Peace comes through love. 
peace is how things should be in this world in every domain within every country peace comes from reconciliation and the heart of God is a God who reconciles and when we're willing to step out of the fray and speak and act and reflect the peace of God we change we interject something that's very different than what we most often experience people around us change and we change in how we relate to God Think for a moment, picture for a moment, the vast difference between peace and what we see every day. Hatred, violence, division, contention, consternation, put-downs. Peace and not peace are vastly different ways of being and living and relating. Blessings come from peacemaking, and peacemaking creates space in the soil of our lives. And finally, Jesus said, you are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Often this reads, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I love what one person writes. The person writes, you would assume that if a person is humble, meek, merciful, peacemaking, has a pure heart, wants what is right, that person would be loved by people. But as we know, many people, sometimes people seek the opposite of such things and instead spend their lives focusing upon self and ego and power and control and domination and exclusion. And sometimes such people persecute and condemn those who are not oriented in such a way. We do follow Jesus who was crucified. And it's not likely that many of us here have experienced death threats, maybe some of you had, or cruel, violent persecution because of your faith. But my hunch is that some of us here, I certainly, have felt glares, suspicions, ridicule, or awkward moments because of faith in Jesus. Or we have heard put-downs or caustic comments or criticisms because of our faith. And the one we follow was condemned and crucified because Jesus' essence was and is love and the power hungry can't stand love. And so we too should expect varying degrees of rejection at least in our walk with faith. But our faith can deepen and become more resilient through any hardship we experience because of our faith. And so such hardship is a blessing. Well, the Beatitudes I just reviewed are varied and deep and quite profound, and I, I pray that as you think about what I've said or look at them in your bulletin, that maybe one or maybe more than one caught your attention. And if so, I invite you to pay close attention. There's something happening there. The Beatitudes are all a matter of the heart. And so in the midst of all that is right and good and wonderful in life, in the midst of all of our successes and accomplishments and wins, the Beatitudes remind us to get in touch with our own stuff and brokenness and not run from it. To be willing to create a lot of room for God and others. To be willing to do the hard work of being vulnerable with other people and with God. To remember that everyone we run into is dealing with something at the moment. And they are an invitation, a pathway, if you will, to unbounded blessings, meaning, joy, and love. 
So as we turn to prayer, Lord God, we pray, and I pray that you help each of us to be good soil, to create lots of room and lots of space for your presence in our lives, for us to create lots of room and lots of space for the brokenness of those we encounter, to create lots of room and lots of space for us to be willing to accept our own brokenness and vulnerability. And I pray that you help us each in the midst of all that is good and right. You help us to remember where your heart really is. With each one of us and all people who have a lot of stuff to deal with. And so I invite us to a few moments of silent prayer as we ponder the Beatitudes and our lives. And let us silently pray. <clears throat> 